Welcome to The Word in Ed, a show that explores the world of education. Each episode, we focus on one word and use it to provoke new thoughts, explore new trends, and discover how to improve education. This is The Word in Ed. The Word in Ed. Irrefutable. Hey, Laura. Hey, Ron. So the word for this episode is irrefutable. Yes, and our special guest today is Chris Emden, and he's here to talk about what it means to be an irrefutable educator. Well, Chris, we're thrilled to have you join us on our show. If you could take just a moment and introduce yourself. Sure. I am Christopher Emden. I currently serve as an associate professor of science education at Teachers College at Columbia University. I'm also the director of the science education program and the associate director of the Institute for Urban and Minority Education, which just means I have a lot of jobs at that place. Um, And I do work around urban education, urban science education, reimagining approaches to teaching and learning, discovering new pedagogies and social justice and equity work. And so all those things make me who I am. Excellent. Uh, So our show, we take one word and we explore that with educators and thought leaders such as yourself. And so our word this episode is irrefutable. So when you hear that word, word, what does that word mean to you and, and the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, irrefutable, I hear the word, and it's sort of definition just jumps out at me right away, right? Not to be denied, um, known fact, um, not shaken, verifiable. Um, And, you know, in my life and in my work, there's certain things that for me are irrefutable. And as time goes by and sort of things emerge over the sort of political spectrum and over the sort of like landscape of social life, one thing I'm learning is that, you know, irrefutable is a word that is so subjective. Um, there are things that people who are experiencing life feel are irrefutable and somebody from a very different vantage point will find evidence or facts to actually say that is not the case. And so irrefutable or sort of irrefutability is a subjective construct um, based on the life experiences of people, based on the context where they're immersed. Um, I know for me and my work, it is irrefutable that it is part of the fabric of this country that certain folks are denied a quality education. You know, it's irrefutable um, that teaching and learning in this country needs to be overhauled. It is irrefutable um, that social justice needs to be the anchor of teaching and learning. You know, it's irrefutable that we have to reimagine the way that we recruit and support teachers. Um, It's irrefutable that student voice is lost in traditional schooling across the world. Um, But then I also understand that somebody else is sitting from a different vantage point and they're like, man, I have evidence to support the fact that teaching and learning works quite well the way it is. Um, And so, you know, the idea for me is to not not sort of stand your ground based on the notion that what ideas you bring to the world are irrefutable, but rather to be open enough to recognize that you have to show folks why you believe and feel that it is such. Um, You know, the, the willingness to be able to believe in what you believe in but showing folks that I believe is irrefutable, but I have to provide you with the evidence because I understand that by, by the very virtue of who you are and where you are and where you come from because you don't live my life and know my story and know my experiences, you, can't, you won't be able to understand that. Um, and, and, and so it's understanding that we stand on irrefutable ground, um, but yet we understand that folks may want to deny the fact that we feel certain things are irrefutable, and so we will do our work to ensure that we provide as much evidence as possible through our life experiences, through data, through research, um, through giving voice to the voice of the marginalized, get, you know, by, by allowing young people to speak their own truths, to show folks um, how and why we believe the things that we stand on are irrefutable. 
I love that. And I had no idea where you were going to go. That's why I love talking to you, Chris, because I have no idea where you're going to go with stuff. And so, um, I, but what you just reminded me is it's not, it's not the word itself. It's the action, right? That your people yeah. are doing. Right. And so you spoke about teacher development, student voice, and it, it's the actions that we take with, with our colleagues and with our students that make whatever we believe irrefutable to others. And so, you mm -hmm. know, right now as an advocate uh, myself, and I know you are of an advocate for social justice and equity, you know, here we are now, what does that, I think that like, we have a lot of teachers that say those words, right? Yeah. And we, I think at a core belief system, we believe that, but then there are a lot of folks um, in our country that's like, I believe that, what do I do? Like, where do you I know, go with, so how do we go there? Yeah. Man, Laura, okay, so, so you know, this is, you, you raised such a powerful point around like irrefutability in, in that last statement, like the idea of like, so what now? And what are next steps? And I feel like before we even talk about next steps, you have to talk about the groundwork, right? Like, just because you understand something intellectually, just because you understand a definition, just because you can cite certain authors or certain scholars around this work, right? Around social justice work, around equity work, around effective teaching, around student voice, does not mean that deep in your soul you believe that those things are irrefutable. And the, 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 I think the self-work is most important. Like, how do you get to the point where you are convinced that what you're doing is absolutely essential because there's nothing else? And I think I think, I think, because if you understand that, then your actions are almost get poured out of that. But unless you do that fundamental piece yet uh, first, then, then you can question. If you're questioning your own belief system, then you can't convince somebody else that, that they should be on board with you in, 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 in acting the things that you want to get done. Does that make sense? It's like, it, it, it's more about how do we, as educators who perceive ourselves to be progressive, who perceive, uh, you know, who, who we, sort of, we can say that student voice matters, et cetera, how do we look ourselves in the mirror and say, do I fully and truly believe this at the core of my being? Do I believe that injustice in contemporary education is an irrefutable fact? Mm -hmm. And, and you, you, you know, you have to, at your core, believe that your values are irrefutable before you can go forward. Um, and then you can convince other folks that it's the same. But unless, if you have a question about your mission, right, if you have a doubt about whether or not the things that you say you stand for are irrefutable, then you cannot enact the kind of actions to show or convince other folks that that's the case as well. Um, I think that actions are poured out of a genuine base and core. And I think convincing other folks that what you believe is irrefutable is a reflection of whether or not you truly believe that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and once that groundwork gets done, the actions, they come out and, uh, you know, they emerge. The pedagogical practices, they, they like, you know, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what do we do in our school to make our school better around social justice facts and, you know, social justice and, and, uh, and around, um, you know, effective teaching and learning. I say the first thing you got to do is, is make sure that the staff that you have on board truly believes in your mission. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we do the work to ensure that everybody is on board first? Because once that gets done, the, the kind of pedagogies that emerge, the kind of questions we ask, our belief in young people, that that just comes naturally. And then mm -hmm. and then folks like me and you can come in and help 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 folks sort of fine tune, you know, mm -hmm. how it gets played out. But the core has to happen first. So th that's a challenge, right? So I mean, because yeah. you're actually in people to dig deep. Because I believe that what you said of like it is a core belief system, and then once you have that belief system mindset in place, you're going to do anything and everything to continue that vision, right? And so yeah. that's absolutely true. So, that's but I think 
<laughs> Absolutely, that's right. So the question, though, I think is challenging. Is I think there. How do we get people to that space? Because, and also, how do you, given we have a wide, massive country, how do we help people come together when those irrefutable belief systems are um, divisive or not on the same page? Particularly, you know, and I, and particularly in schools. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly for people who maybe have been there for a long time or are new, they're coming from two different landscapes. So how do we have people that often or on the seemingly already know that they're, they have an irrefutable mission or an irrefutable vision that actually is in, in conflict with one another, which often happens in schools, right? The question is how yeah. do we change schools? It's often two irrefutable belief systems going head to head. So what do we do about that? You know, I, I wish I had all the answers. I don't, this is a profound and deep question. You know, the, 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 the only thing that just sort of came to mind as you were speaking, and I just love when you speak because you just speak such truth, um, is that, you know, the resolution of tensions to get to a point where there are these, the, 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 that I can see the humanity and who you are, and you can see the same in me, and then we can use that as a foundation to build something we believe in together, right? Like, so you know, if I go into a school and someone says, no, I really believe that this form of assessment has value. Right? And you're like, no, I don't believe in these forms of assessment at all. Then we have to have a conversation about why is it you believe that these assessments have value. And oftentimes that may, may have a bedrock of us seeing that we want young people to be able to be able to be successful in the real world. You know, right? so, so even though it gets expressed differently in folks' actions, if we really go back and deconstruct what brings us to our belief systems, we, we oftentimes uncover commonalities that the roles that we play along social life Move, move us a, a peer divergent. And then we can co-construct a new narrative where our needs are collectively met. And I think it really comes to understanding and having conversations. Like, you know, we, we're in the midst of this, like, this, this, this Trump fiasco, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was, I was tweeting yesterday on Hip Hop Ed and, and saying, like, you know, I, I talk about, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and poor teaching and school disorder, but boy, are we having, like, a President Trump stress disorder. Like, that's a new PTSD. That's real. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's like, so how do we, how do we help folks to be able to recognize the effects of that? Yeah. Um, well, folks might not recognize the fact that you feel sad or angry about, about Trump's, uh, presidency, but they can understand what sadness and frustration feels like. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. we can, you know, if we can collectively identify what the emotions are that we share, yeah. like the commonalities in the human experience, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and say, you know what, I'm not going to dismiss the fact that you are upset because of Trump, because mm -hmm. I can at least acknowledge the fact that your sadness is something that I felt at some point. And mm -hmm. how can we co-construct learning spaces that we can make, we can both feel happy in, right? Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't erase what's happening on the political spectrum, but it can help us to create or construct a school space where healing can happen for us collectively, despite our divergent belief system. And I feel like it's mm -hmm. okay for us to do that. I think yeah. we, we are in a world where we're so caught up in um, what side we're on, that we forget to identify, you know, those those core human collections connections that we can build healing spaces and healing schools from. Yeah, I mean, I think this is um, really powerful ideas for people to think about, and I'm I'm imagining, and I'd like to invite us into this space to explore. Let's imagine, you know, a teacher who, and because what I'm hearing are, are pieces about awareness. So, in in spaces of of many schools which privilege sameness, you know, so schools are about getting the same age of kids in the same class, doing the same thing in the same way, um, and, mm -hmm. and kids that can 
produce work that's similar to what the teachers expect, which who come from similar social, cultural, historical backgrounds are already going to be privileged mm -hmm. in those spaces of sameness. So how do we help promote awareness of mm -hmm. stepping into the difference, right? So having mm -hmm. openness to difference, to be mm -hmm. open to different subjectivities, mm -hmm. perspectives, positionalities. What are those what are those initial steps? So you talked about kind of that self-awareness, but how do we develop yeah. awareness of difference and openness yeah. to difference and try not to collapse it? So there's that tension Man. of finding commonalities, but at the same time, maintaining that productive difference. Mm. So as you ask your question, all I'm doing, I'm like, I'm snapping my fingers over here, right? Like, um, <laughs> the, you know, the notion of, of, accepting and understanding commonalities while recognizing um, differences. Like it's, it sounds oxymoronic in many ways, but I think that that's the beauty of life, right? Is, is, um, is being able to understand that some folks come to this space with different belief systems. And while I can identify with them based on their emotions, I have to sort of celebrate the fact that our differences is what makes us beautiful. Right. And you know, this sounds almost like, you know, Jesse Jackson, Rainbow Push-ish, which was not my intention. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think the way we do that is by showcasing various and varying forms of brilliance, right? And recognizing um, that there are certain forms of brilliance that can get expressed that some folks lack. And that in schools, we have to be able to, to not only celebrate them, but sort of validate them and make them be associated with academic success. So, I, I, you know, I try to write about this in, in the book, well, uh, shameless plug for the book, right? For for white folks teaching the hood and the rest of y'all too. Um, but but what I try to write about in the book is like, listen, y'all, if you want the ideal teaching and learning spaces, and you're in a space that rec that recognizes a certain form of sameness, it's going to be powerful for you to step out of that space for a little bit and witness the brilliance of, say, a Pentecostal black church. Um and see what models about that space that's different from the classroom space can be incorporated into the classroom to make the classroom have a more rich sort of like context and rich cultural milieu. So I, I think it's really about not, not saying, hey, because you value sameness, you're wrong and, 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 and we demonize you. It's to say, you know, your, 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 your meal might be better with a little bit of sauce. So and this sounds weird, right? But indulge me for a second. You ever go to a place and, um, and they say that they like it, maybe like a soul food restaurant. And you eat the food, and you're like, oh, this is great. It has a soul food menu, right? There's like macaroni and cheese, you know, there's like really good, there's, you know, maybe not really good, but there's macaroni and cheese, there's fried chicken, there's, uh, there's cornbread, there's these staples of soul food, right? And so it's a soul food place because it has a soul food menu. But then you go to somewhere else, and it's the same menu, but it's just better. You know, and you're like, well, why, why is it? It's the same exact menu, but this place just has that sauce, right? It's the seasoning. It's the, um, it's the flavor. It's the same menu, but the flavor is different. The sauce is different, and that's what makes it better. I think it's a fuss of recognizing in teaching and learning spaces. Just because you've got the menu for academic success doesn't mean that your school has that sauce. It, it doesn't have that spice. And that sauce and that spice comes with the recognition of the fact that folks who are very different from where you are are what's going to provide you with that sauce. 
You know what I mean? And so it's not it's not saying your menu sucks. Just your, your menu could be great, but you need to be able to incorporate that sauce. So incorporate that sauce, you're going to have to incorporate dimensions of teaching and learning and experiencing the world that are very different from your same space. And it's not saying that you're bad. It's just saying we can give you some soul. We can give you some sauce. I think that's where the difference is value. The recognition that other folks have dynamic, have things to offer that make what we have better. And it's not to say that what we have is bad because the menu is great, but that menu without that sauce is lost. And, and I think, you know, sharing that type of narrative is important. You know, like that, that diversity doesn't ruin what you have. Diversity, you know, makes it more complex, makes it more complete, makes it more flavorful, makes it more robust. It doesn't dismiss you. It adds to you. And I think, you know, in a, in a sort of post-Trump era, I think people were clamoring for going back to a, to a space where, you know, where we had no diversity because it's a fear of what diversity brings. And there has to be a recognition of the, of the fact that the diversity actually makes us better. It doesn't mean – because we oftentimes have been framing it as if these folks come in, then you lose. Nah, bro. If these folks come in, you get better. We're not demonizing you for what you are and who you are. We're just saying we want you to be able to have more to offer the world. Um, and I think that language is oftentimes lost in a world that only sees things in – you know, uh, and, and, and no pun intended, but only sees things in black and white, only sees things in one or the other, or either or. To, to understand the beauty of, of the dialectic, that it's never one or the other, it's always and or and both, and that the, the beauty of the, te- the comfort with the tensions in that is what makes a teaching and learning space better. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, the idea of vulnerability and and the risk of stepping into that difference. And so I think, you know, what are some of the things that help people develop the willingness to take that risk, to be vulnerable, to step into the uncertainty? Man, you know, it's it's irrefutable, right? Um, That human beings um, are, are creatures of habit. You know, it, you know, that's a fact, you know, you are, no matter how, you know, how, how progressive you, you claim to be or want to be are constructed based on the, the consolation of experiences that you had that you have had up until the point where you're being asked a question about who you are. Um, and I think it's having folks um, sort of understand their own stories. You know, who raised you? Where were you raised? Where, when was the first time that you interacted with the, uh, a person who was Muslim, you know, when, when was the first time that you, what was the first conversation that you had with somebody in your family about being LGBTQ or not? You know, what kind of biases are deposited into our bones just by virtue of existing and living in a world where folks who are around us have certain perspectives about others? Um, and, and so despite how we claim to be today, to understand that we have to undo that damage. I think the things that get in the way is our unwillingness to be able to interrogate our past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the belief systems of those who we love, you know, um, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll be completely honest here, you know, like, you know, as a, as a man of color who grew up in urban America and, and where sort of hyper-masculinity was almost like part of the sort of like, you know, almost like a badge of honor to wear to be able to navigate the world. I grew up in a world where, uh, where homophobia and, homo, and, and homophobic language was just a part of our lexicon. Mm-hmm. And I, as a as a as a as a as a as a person today who believes and advocates for social justice, have to go and do some resolving 
of the fact that mm-hmm. I grew up in a world where that was normalized. And it would be easy for me to say, oh, no, I'm an academic, I'm thoughtful, and I don't believe in homophobia at all, and I'm, at, I'm against that. It would be easy for me to say that. It, you know, I have a job that allows me to make it easy to say that, but I have to be honest enough to say that, no, I grew up in a world where homophobia was a part of the lexicon, and because of that, I have belief systems that are deposited in me, and my heart is saying, no, I don't believe in this, but my mind is saying, well, this is what your OG said, and this is how you learned your whole entire life. I had to go and resolve those tensions and speak to people who I grew up with and say, no, that's not okay, right? And go back and re-embrace folks who I've said negative things about in my lifetime. So, you know, and, and if I can say that about how I grew up with homophobia as a part of my language and my discourse, I had to go undo. Some white folks got to be like, you know what? I grew up around some racist folks, right? And I grew up around people who thought that Muslims were terrorists. Yeah. And that it doesn't mean that's who I am, but I have to resolve those tensions, understand that I'm a function of the environment that I grew up in, and I have to be able to undo those damages to be able to go forward. Um, and and it, it, it just goes back to the, the, the initial conversation. Are we willing to recognize the fact that it's irrefutable, that we come from bias, and that we, we, are, we have to be willing to do the self-work and unpacking who we are to be able to move forward in a more beautiful and more complex and more dynamic way. I think it's irrefutable. One thing that I think that I love talking with you is that the more you have these conversations, the easier it becomes. Indeed. Right. And I think that <laughs> fear, yep. it's it. Yeah. Yep. That, that's the, if we were to close right now, I think that to me, if, I think to me, that's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it, it's, and, and, I, and I don't mean this in a sort of like, you know, this is the word, so we're going to use the word, but genuinely, you know, it is absolutely irrefutable that if we create the spaces for us to be able to have these powerful and difficult conversations, it gets easier and we get better. That's right. I mean, I think that is the dissonance in the community and also recognizing that creating a space for some people are ready to go there and some people are not there yet and having the, yep. right, and having the space enough and the generosity and the humanity enough to know that they're not quite ready yet. And how do you create a space when they're ready? And so having that humanity of this comfortability and ambiguity and dissonance within a community, I think is, you know, I think that is irrefutable, right? So, and and that's the challenge that we're facing. So um, Chris, I just wanna thank you. I love talking with you. Every single time I talk to you, I learn something new and I feel inspired and more committed to the work that I do. And so I just love your work. I love what you're doing. And the more we can have other people hear your message and your thoughts about the world and this idea of self-actualization, the better we're all gonna be because you speak to people's uh, place of humanity. Um, And it's not about a pedagogical one thing, it's about who people are and who they wanna become. And so I just love the work that you're doing. So thank you for so much for joining us today. Oh, thank Thank you you. so much, Laura. Thank you so much, Ron. I am always here to support, to be back, to advocate, to push this amazing, amazing podcast you guys have. And um, we'll talk soon. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. No worries. Chris. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Until next time. This is The Word in Ed. The Word in Ed.